My wife keeps hoping that I will retire. I'm not sure that that's uh, going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I, um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I was talking with uh, Mike earlier. I th- we were thinking maybe back in February that I was here the last time. And I think that time talking specifically about prayer. And uh, I'm going to get to that uh, a little bit later in, in the message this morning. But first, I just want to say I, I've appreciated the words, the music. And I know these are, a lot of these were older songs, but I hope that we never get to a point in our walk with Christ that the, the reality of what God has done in and for us, uh, that it doesn't thrill us, that we, that we get to the point where we just hear the words over and over again and it doesn't do anything for us. God has done some incredible things for us. And um, I told Mike when they were practicing this morning, I came in, I was ready to shout. And I don't know whether this is a shout in church or not, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm serious. There, there is so much to give praise for, for what God has done. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, back in 1985, which uh, goes back a number of years, obviously over 30 years, I bought a 1965 GMC pickup truck. Uh, it was... Um, Obviously, 20 years old at the time, it kind of listed to one side. I think I paid all of $150 for it. It, uh, it ran well, but you could uh, see uh, the ground, you know, through the holes in the floorboard on the driver's side. But it was good for what I needed. Uh, we needed a, a wood hauler, and it was good for that. Uh, my kids were involved in 4-H, so it was good to haul feed. Uh, the bed was solid. Uh, it's just up front was a little on the weak side in terms of the floorboard. It ran well uh, until that one day that it abandoned me or it stopped alongside of the road uh, about a mile from my house. And um, it was before cell phones, obviously. And I was about uh, 20 or 25 pounds overweight at that time. The idea of walking a mile home wasn't very appealing, and yet there weren't many other options available to me. And so I set out, and I walked, and I made it all the way home. I did, and I was so proud of myself. I remember kind of almost boasting to my wife, I just just walked a mile. She wasn't terribly impressed uh, by that. Uh, I'm thinking, this is a hot day. I haven't walked a mile in a long time, not intentionally anyway. And I had just walked a mile. I remember reminding her of that several times over the course of that day that I had just walked a mile. And uh, she still isn't that impressed with that story. But I want you to fast forward a few years. My son was going into high school and uh, wanted to play soccer. And the coach had put the word out that uh, he didn't want to do a bunch of conditioning in the fall, so one of these guys running in the summer. And Matt came to me and he said, Dad, I don't want to run by myself. Go out and run with me. Now, I'm still kind of reveling in the fact that I had walked a mile. But now he's uh, expanding that. He's wanting me to run. I had not run since high school. And he kept badgering. You know how kids can be. And finally, I consented and I decided that I would go with him. I went seven-tenths of a mile and thought I would die. (laughs) My lungs burned, my legs burned, 
My heart raced. I walked the seven-tenths of a mile back home. And he kept nudging and urging. And uh, so we went again. I don't remember how long it was, whether it was the next day or a few days later, whether I took time to recover or what. I don't recall that. But I ran. And I finally made it a mile and a half without stopping, and then up to two miles without stopping. I was 41 years old when I started running. When I was 40, if you had asked me to run two miles, five miles, a 10K or anything like that, I would have said, that's impossible. That's never going to happen in my life. I am too old. I am too heavy, I've put on too many pounds, and I am too faithless to even consider trying it. But what seemed impossible, out of reach, beyond my capabilities, became possible. And I began running. Uh, and I, this is not necessarily uh, important to the story, but I have run, I can't remember how many 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, and I still get out and run. My wife still doesn't understand it, but I still get out and run. When I think about that story, or about just that history, I think about my relationship with Jesus. And he's given us, when I look at it on face value, some humanly impossible things to do. He's called us to a life that I can't live on my own. It's impossible. I can't, I can't do all the things that he asked me to do. I want you to listen to some passages of Scripture, just some key verses, and I'll come back to 1 John 2. But 1 John 2, 6, and I'm, I'm reading from the New King James, just as a version that I happened to have uh, latched on to a number of years ago. He who has says he abides in him, in Christ, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now think about that for a moment and think about how possible that is for you to walk as Jesus walked. In John 13, 15, he says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And that's when he washed his disciples' feet. And I'm not sure that the task of, of washing feet was as much as it was the humility that he demonstrated. In 1 Peter, for this to... For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And I don't like the word suffering in there. I don't know about you, but uh, this whole part of, of the Christian suffering uh, doesn't feel good. And I know that there are people in a lot of parts of the world who are suffering and losing their lives because of their faith. I don't like the idea. And yet there are those who seem to suffer willingly because of what Jesus has done. In Luke 6, 40, Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, I have to ask you this morning, have you looked in the mirror lately? I'm assuming that most of you looked in the mirror before you came to church. Some of you may should have looked a little bit longer, I don't know, but uh, at any rate, I wonder, as you looked in the mirror this morning, what did you see? Did you see a reflection of Jesus? Now, I know that that probably wasn't what was on your mind. You were looking to see how 
much you needed to work on to make yourself presentable so you could be in church this morning. But 1 John 2, 6 says that we, if we claim to abide in Him, we ought to walk as Jesus walked. Uh, it means we ought to look like Him. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 John 2, 1 to 6. Or if you have your smartphone or your iPad or whatever it might be, uh, those digital versions of it. 1 John 2, 1 to 6 reads this way. My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? So that you might not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's how we know that we know him is if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now John gives at least four expectations that he had of believers in this passage of Scripture. One, that, that they not sin. He says, I write to you so that you may not sin that they keep the commandments, that they keep Jesus' word, and that they walk as Jesus walked. It's a bit like this. If, if it claims to be a duck, it ought to walk like a duck, it ought to quack like a duck, it ought to look like a duck, right? It's a bit of what John is saying. If we claim to be in Christ, we claim to be followers of Christ, then we ought to walk like Jesus, we ought to look like Jesus, we ought to act like Jesus. So he's using that same old metaphor. And he gives us these commands. John Wesley said, and I was telling Mike earlier, John Wesley made the statement once. He said, every command of Jesus is an implicit promise because he never commands something that he can't enable us to do. Every command is an implicit promise. So when we see the commands of Christ, Instead of seeing them as a burden, see them as a promise of what God is able to do in and through us. I think Jesus or John helps us to understand what it is to, to walk as Jesus walked. First, we need to understand that we can walk like Jesus by walking with him. It's, it's that, that, that accompaniment that is, as he walks along with us that, that we can walk like him. I used to play a fair amount of golf. I haven't played golf in, in quite a number of years now. But one of the things that I learned in playing golf was that I always played better when I played with better players. When I walk with Jesus, I can begin to be like Jesus. It's that accompaniment. It's, a, it's the challenge. It's, it's seeing who he is. Now, one of the problems that we have, I think, in the Christian church I wasn't going to say this, but I will. I think we've gone soft on sin. I really do. Uh, the other thing that I think we've done is we have, we've come to a point of saying that there are certain sins that are acceptable. 
there are some kind of kosher sins. Uh, for example, it's, it's okay if I carry a bit of bitterness in my heart towards somebody who has offended me years ago. It's okay if I spread a bit of gossip. You know, it's okay if I have envy in my heart. It's okay if I covet what somebody else has, either their stuff, their position, their place in life. Now, all of us have certain big sins that we don't tolerate. But I've been around the church long enough to know that there are those sins that we tend to tolerate. We tend to let them go. It's, it's kind of like they're okay. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's, not a, that's not really a biggie. Sin destroys our relationship with God. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how little it is. In fact, I don't see in Scripture that he distinguishes between big ones and little ones. Okay? Sin is sin. You can't truly worship God with sin in your heart. Sin's a barrier. You may go through the motions, you might join in singing, but your heart cannot worship because there is something there. And one of the reasons that there is a barrier is because the Lord will bring it up to you and say, well, what about this? Years ago, I was, uh, when I was district superintendent in Ohio, I was talking to one of our pastors and uh, I was visiting a number of them and, and uh, one of my... Uh, practices at that point was I visited with them was just to simply ask them the question, so tell me, how's your prayer life? And this pastor looked at me and he said, well, funny you should ask. He said, right now it's not so good. And I was taken aback. I thought, like most of us, we would kind of bluff our way through that. And I said, well, tell me about that. He said, well, it's like this. I don't want to be at this church. And he said, every time I go to pray, the Lord brings up me staying. And as long as he brings it up, I don't want to talk to him. And I wonder how often that is with some of us, that there are, there are things in our lives that God wants to bring up to us and say, this is something that's out of line. And so it's a whole lot easier to stay away from the place of prayer because we know that in the place of prayer or in the place of worship, is going to remind us. But there's this thing between us that we need to talk about. You see, all sin is ultimately against God. It keeps us from prayer because he wants to talk about it, and we don't. There's no such thing as private sin. Others may not know about your sin, but will it, affect, it will affect your relationship with God and will affect others, and it will change how you walk. But we have this incredible hope. John says, I write to you that you may not sin. He's giving us this promise, this hope, and he's saying, I write so that you won't sin. The verb form suggests that it's, not, that it's expected that you will not sin. See, I think we've, we've sold ourselves short. Actually, we've sold the Lord short. We have this idea, well, everybody sins, and so it becomes acceptable. 
That's not what he's called us to. One of the lines in the song that we sang earlier talked about freedom from sin. So we not sin. Paul wrote in in Romans 6, 3, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Obviously not. He says, God forbid. So we live with this assumption that sin is inevitable. And John says the assumption is wrong. The assumption should be that Christians don't live in sin. Christians don't continue to practice sinning. It might happen that we do sin. But we don't have to live with jealousy. We don't have to live with envy. We don't have to live with pride. We don't have to live with bitterness. We don't have to live with unforgiveness. We don't have to live with hatred. We don't have to live with contentions or outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, those things that Paul called works of the flesh. We don't have to live with those things. It's what his grace is for. That's why he came to, to dwell in us. But unfortunately, many of those have become acceptable. And John gives us this hope. He says, if any of you have sinned, he says, we have an advocate. And the word here is paraclete. And it's interesting, it's the only place that I know of that it's used to describe Jesus. It's usually used to describe the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. But he says, Jesus is our our advocate. He's our, our paraclete. He comes alongside of us. And if we claim to be in Christ... We ought to walk like him. And so if we walk with him, we can walk like him. He comes to comfort us. Why does he comfort us? The, the paraclete comes to comfort. Why? Because those who are walking with Christ, the moment they recognize sin, they grieve. Because we know that sin breaks the heart of God. If I carry envy in my heart, It grieves his heart. And so Jesus comes to comfort and and to encourage and to bring us back to a place of, of confession and forgiveness. He comes to walk with us through that process of restoration. We too easily assume that some of our sinful tendencies are just the way we are. And sometimes we give excuses to people and say, well, you just have to understand that's just the way they are. And we excuse sinful behavior. But that's not the way he intended us to be. He gave us hope of living differently. Before my son challenged me to run, I had come to accept that as I got older, I would gain some weight, become less and less active. False assumption that i become more sedentary. And we've settled for an assumption to live below what God intended for us. And Jesus came to set us free, not only from the penalty of sin, not just to give us a place in heaven, but also to set us free from the power of sin. So that it doesn't have a grip on us. When we know him, It leads to obedience. If we know him, we keep his commandments to love God, to love others. John basically says, if you find yourself 
loving others, it's because of what he's done in us. It's because you know him. If you find yourself obeying the commands, it's because you know who he is and you're following after him. Knowing him is not a, a matter of more biblical understanding or greater theological knowledge. It's about an intimacy with him, about knowing who he is. The disciples walked with him. They knew him intimately. Doing what is needed to truly know him, to spend time in the word, to spend time in prayer, to when we find those things that are out of, out of whack in our lives, when we find that there's, there's sinful attitudes in our, in our heart, to come into his presence and say, God, I know this isn't of you. I know you, and this isn't you. And I don't want this anymore. Now, I could have read about running and tell you a lot of facts and figures but there came a day when I began running. We can study the Scriptures, but there comes a time when we need to just simply get in the race and run it for all we're worth. Pursuing Christ, wanting to know Him with everything that we have. He gave us two basic commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. do that. I knew a man in another state, a leader in his church, who hadn't spoken to his brother in decades because of an offense from years and years earlier when they were young men. And this man at that time was probably in his 60s. And he carried bitterness in his heart for 40 years. And I thought, how tragic because it didn't have to be. See, to walk as Jesus walks, Jesus didn't walk with bitterness. He didn't walk with envy. He didn't walk with all those other things. Those weren't a part of his heart. And he invites us to walk the same way. When we love him, loving Jesus changes our priorities. It changes what's about us. Instead of, instead of it being about us, about all of our life being about us and about having things our way, we begin to love him and we want things his way. Loving Jesus leads to loving to do what is on his heart. Doing his word. Think about all the things that he told his disciples. Things like forgive 70 times 7. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Make disciples. Love disciples bear fruit. Those are all things he gave us to do. We have a priority of serving others rather than being served when, we, when we're in love with Christ. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, I have left you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so we have this priority making disciples, helping others follow Jesus, serving. I read a book recently where the author was saying the reason we continue in some of our sinful practices is because we love the sin more than we love Jesus. Sometimes we love holding on to stuff more than we love him. 
I've been around people long enough to know that we sometimes get crossways with each other. It happens in the community, happens in homes, happens in churches. We sometimes allow those things to fester. And we end up kind of loving this feeling inside more than we love Christ. And it eats away and eats away and eats away. And it robs us of the joy of our walk with Jesus. Abiding in Christ leads to a life change. If we abide, if we walk with Him, if, if we walk as He walked, we walk in intimate fellowship with Him. We walk with a sense of dependence on the Father. There's a desire for a greater intimacy with Him. We, we walk in pursuit of holiness. We, we want to be holy people of God, not just raise my hand and say, yeah, I'm saved. I made a decision a long time ago, but rather to really pursue being holy people of God. Say, if there's anything in me that doesn't look like Jesus, I don't even to take it because I want to walk like Jesus. We walk with a heart broken for lost people. We walk in a lifestyle of making disciples of others, of investing in, in others. Now, I don't know you. There are a couple of people I know. I see John Zerker out there and some others that I know. But here's my question for you this morning. How much sin do you tolerate in your own life? How many times has God said to you, you know, this is something that isn't of me? And you say, well, it's, it's not that big a deal. And we go about our life and we keep on going and we keep on going. And yes, we're serving, but there is that reminder that the Lord continues to bring. And he says, but what about that? And it robs us of joy. It robs us of pure worship. It robs us of our prayer times. How well do you really know Jesus? Are you, are you growing in your knowledge of him? Do you know his heart better than you knew his heart 10 years ago or five years ago? Jesus asked Peter, at the end of the book of John, Peter, do you love me? It's easy for us to raise our hand and say, yes, I love Jesus, but do we really love him? Do we love him more than anything else in the world, anything else in our lives. How well are you abiding? Does your talk match your walk? Would those around you, family, community, church, see that you are walking as Jesus walked? If you say it's impossible to walk as Jesus walked, you're focusing on your strength. If you're, if you're saying it's impossible for me to live without this sin or without doing this, if you're saying that, you're looking at your own strength. You're not looking at the grace and the power of Jesus Christ to come in and change our lives. We're minimalizing what he can do. We're saying he's not able. You say, no, I'm saying I can't. No, you're saying he can't. 
Because he's, with every command, it's an implicit promise. I can do that in you. Maybe we need a fresh encounter with him. A time to be alone and confess and say, God, would you examine me and take this stuff away? But my desire is that we would walk as Jesus walked. That we would allow him to come and do all that he wants to do and set us free from all the junk that we sometimes hold on to. Let me pray with you. Father, right now, I want to thank you for the hope that we have in you that you can set us free. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's, who's holding on to a sinful attitude, whatever it might be, Lord, if there's anybody here, would you just right now zero in on that and Lord, just give them the strength to say, God, I, I confess this to you. I turn from it. I, I release it to you, whatever it might be. Lord, we want to walk with you. Father, you are so gracious and so good. We thank you, Father, that you didn't leave us the way you found us. Lord, we surrender our lives to you, pursuing what for us is impossible, but with you, all things are possible. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.